Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar. Every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest, whether they're an entrepreneur, an artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they live a life that is uniquely profitable. My guest today is mentor and teacher, Amira Alvarez, who has built her business, The Unstoppable Woman, into earning seven figures a year. In telling the story of how she grew her business and how that has helped her live a fuller life, Amira shares how revenues grew from zero to about 150K in the first three years, and then almost 5X in year four to beyond 700K. This growth, however, was not just a result of her tactical smarts or diligent execution. Amira describes how she had to reprogram her perception of herself and what that meant about the success that she was pursuing. She explains how a seemingly simple limiting belief that one can only be beautiful or smart was holding her back and how simple tricks like spending five extra minutes getting dressed in the morning help her to reshape her perception en route to business and financial success. We also spoke about mapping out our own paths, getting off the hamster wheel when it's not a hell yes anymore, and how to figure out what we really want in life. If I had to point to one bit of our conversation that really stuck with me, it is how Amira describes that her legacy is just in delivering value and making an impact for her next client. By just doing that, and hopefully repeating that over and over, she will live a full life and build a legacy that is uniquely meaningful to her. Let's get into today's conversation with Amira Alvarez. Hey, Amira, thanks so much uh, for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome stuff. So, I mean, it's always daunting to uh, interview another or have a conversation at least with another podcaster. But let's start first things first to introduce yourself to our listeners. I would love to kind of you know, hear how you introduce yourself today, right? Firstly, and secondly, like, I'm very curious about any specific labels that you use, if any, in that introduction. Very interesting. Okay. So my name is Amira Alvarez and I'm the founder and the CEO of a company called The Unstoppable Woman. We are a global coaching company that works with women entrepreneurs, small business owners, creatives, ambitious types in all fields who really want to get to the next level in their lives and their businesses faster than they ever thought possible. And I help them do that. And the secret sauce is that when you go for it in the way that I teach, you actually express yourself more fully, most fully, and live a delightful life. So it's a synergy between full self-expression, not feeling trapped, not feeling small in this world. You could call that personal freedom and actually scaling on the financial side and the impact side in your life and your business. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a mouthful. And like my brain immediately goes off in all directions. I mean, hearing things like delightful, you know, self-expression, freedom, I think those are all things that I, I would love to kind of pull on there. I'm curious though, firstly, just thinking through kind of you used, you know, at least one label there is this definition as a coach, right? So in your business, you're a coach. And I wonder, firstly, do you feel more a coach than say an entrepreneur or a kind of a business owner yourself, right? Firstly, and then secondly, kind of what does coaching actually mean? Like for, for listeners that are not familiar with coaching, what does coaching mean in your world, in your definition? Great question. So I often call myself a mentor or a teacher. I actually resonate mostly with the word teacher, but I do it within the context of one-on-one -on -one or small group 
interactions so that you have that personal sight on you. You get the lesson for you. So I think from my perspective, the coaching is taking the knowledge about how life and business works, helping you understand it, teaching it to you and coaching you up so that you're applying it. Okay. So it's not just book learning. I, I'm a big believer in study. Okay. It's something that I, I talk a lot about with my clients. It's like, you have to change what's coming into your mind because we're so programmed with old beliefs and ways of looking at the world that you have to really study and, you know, indoctrinate yourself really with a new way of thinking. And quite frankly, for me, that took years to really undo some of the limited thinking that I had in terms of how how life and business and what what was possible for me to achieve. And so I teach people the intellectual understanding, the, the skills and the knowledge, because for me, I'm a heady person, okay? I love understanding how it works. And if I can wrap my head around it, if I can get it intellectually, then I can talk to myself when the challenges come up as an entrepreneur, there's challenges every single day. Like even when you're rocking and rolling and having a good time, there are challenges. And so if I know how to speak to myself, like this is how the world works, Amira, think about it this way. Okay. Walk your talk. Here's how it works. Let's do this instead. Then I'm successful in the world. I've, I've able to send a new message to myself and really step forward more powerfully and, and get more done like, which makes me feel successful. Okay. And it's not just getting more done, like being on that hamster wheel of like, ah, what's the next thing. But like, I actually feel like I'm living a meaningful life. Like I'm getting the stuff that is important to me done. Yeah. And you know, what resonates there and a very kind of recent thing for me, Amira, is, and I had a conversation with a friend that kind of retelling the story is I stumbled into mindfulness probably about five years ago. And like, I stumbled into it the wrong way, which is like, I had no choice kind of thing. It was gun, gun against my head, literal gun against my head almost. But what my therapist did was she, she assumed that I would not kind of buy into the ideas of mindfulness if I didn't first understand kind of how the science of it works. Right. So she sold me on the science and explaining kind of that process and then related it back to kind of, well, how does this actually kind of you play it out in my life? So that, that part of what you mentioned there, understanding kind of how the things work, understanding the material is a key part to actually, you know, knowing how to kind of take action, how, knowing how to orientate yourself you know, towards the context of the action that you want to take. Am I hearing you right? And 100%. Kind of saying that? Absolutely. And I think people get stuck in both places, just following something that someone says, not really understanding it, and then not having the depth of understanding to keep with something that actually would work if they understood why. And then other people get stuck not spending any time studying, or let me say it differently. Other people get stuck only in the study. Okay. They don't apply it. They just, they want to absorb more information over and over and over again, the next new thing there. And it's, it's so enticing. There's so much out there. It's so accessible. Now we have experts on Instagram, you know, we have experts on YouTube. It's, it's like, you could just spend your whole life learning, which I am a full believer in education and learning and all that, but you have to apply it. And it's that sweet spot between continuous, you know, upping your game and what you know, and upping your game in the application and how you apply it. 
Yeah, totally. Because I mean, the, you know, learning just for the sake of learning is is very much a kind of a pursuit of vanity, right? I mean, it's if you're not doing anything with that learning, like I, I, I would prefer at least that it's not really helpful, right? You're you're doing it probably out of some sense of kind of pursuit of ego, right? Whereas if you have that tension of learning and applying it, doing something with that, like you keep that thing in balance. I think it's safety. I think it's fear of what happens if I apply this, do it and fail or make a mistake. And quite frankly, you have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be willing to fail if you want to succeed in life. Like you can't actually move to the next level, expand, grow if you're not willing to take a risk. But if you're only in the study and you're not in the application, to me, it's showing me you're not willing to take a risk. And I see this all the time, like I'm going to get my next certification. I need to finish this. I need to, right? And those things are great, but like map it to doing the, your thing, not my thing, but your thing in this world. Yeah, totally. And I want to touch on that kind of that mapping about your thing. Like one thing that people often, the misperception that people have about me as an entrepreneur and the context here is I spent two months in corporate before founding my first business and I've worked on my own things ever since. And I think the perception is that I'm a big risk taker. I am probably the most risk averse person in the world, right? I just accept that there's no way to make progress unless I take some risks. And I spent a hell of a lot of time to understand the risk and to mitigate as much of the risk as possible, right? So I think that's the perception. I agree with you, like not applying the learning is probably something where I, I see the risk, but I want to stay in the safe zone of just learning, just accumulating knowledge because I'm, I'm never tested if I just do that. No one can criticize you. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. safety. Yeah, cool. So, so you mentioned this kind of you kind of everyone mapping out their own success. So I want to touch on just kind of your journey and the abbreviated version is and kind of based on my research, you studied anthropology, right? Went into the corporate world and eventually got into teaching slash coaching. I'm curious, can you take us back to that kind of that moment when you decided to? start your business and stop all women, right? Um, kind of where were you kind of what was the impetus? Like what was the overarching feeling when you made that decision? Oh, that's a great question. So I had just moved from the San Francisco Bay Area to Wisconsin and we had left for any number of reasons, but primarily because my husband at the time had left his tech job and didn't want to go back to tech and couldn't really see beyond tech in the Bay Area. Like that was all the options. So we were like, okay, let's hit the road. I, I closed the business I was running in the Bay Area and moved to, we hit the road. We traveled around the United States with our big dog. It was kind of a crazy little adventure. And we ended up in Wisconsin. And I had the opportunity to start the business I had before, which was a very much a solo entrepreneur experience. I loved it. It was a mind-body technique. I was helping people. I felt very impactful in this world. And I was making good, not stunning money, but good money. And I had done a lot of research and application in that business to figure out how to run a business. Because I was under the misconception that you hang up your shingle and they will come, right? You know, and, and I had no idea about sales and marketing. Zero. Okay. All I knew was like, this is great what I'm doing. And so I had to learn sales and marketing and I took a lot of classes, but I applied it and I had done really well in the barrier. So then in Wisconsin, I had to decide, well, is this my thing? Am I going to start this all over again here? Or am I going to start something new? 
And I spent a lot of time on walks with my dog, like just thinking, 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 and triangulating what I was good at and what I really wanted to do. And I don't know if you've heard the expression, if it's not a clear yes, it's a no. And it wasn't a clear yes to start that business again. And yet up until I had moved, I thought this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. But I listened to that part of me that said, no, it wasn't a clear yes, which was a little confounding. I was like, and then what? So I, I triangulated what I was good at. And much of what I did previously included coaching, but not under that guise. And I, at the time I hated, I hated the term life coach or coach. It seemed so like crunchy granola and like not, not actionable and like rah, rah. It was really, I, I had a thing against it, but I, I think I called myself a energy strategist or something like that. Like I came up with some, I'm going to call myself something totally different. And I did a, a launch. And all my first clients were the women that I had met at different conferences when I was learning how to run the previous business. And so they became, because social media is beautiful, they became my first clients. And so I really enjoyed that sweet spot and was doing great work with them. And it felt really good. And I was like, okay, this is excellent. But I was, you know, the first many years, but the, you know, <laughs> I was banging my head against the wall, like trying to figure out like what was going to move the needle. And I did not know. I, I had the spaghetti approach, which was let's throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Okay. Which is probably the case for most businesses, if not all businesses today, right? Is That is the approach. Yeah. And there's a time and a phase for that because I needed to I needed to make a lot of mistakes. I needed to get my grounding. I needed to understand why something worked and why something didn't work. And I didn't know the cause and effect until I went through it. And now I teach from a perspective of universal law and I understand there's a law of cause and effect and there are causes to certain effects. And if you don't understand what the causes are, you're not going to get the effect that you want. So if you're not getting the results that you want, we have to look at what are you driving? Okay. And there's so many different places to evaluate that different layers to evaluate that on. But so the story there is, you know, my first year in business, I made 30 K not great, but okay. Something my second year in business, I made 90 K I tripled my income. So that was pretty good. I was feeling good. I wanted to make hundred K I had, I didn't make my, my six figure goal. Okay. And then the next year I went to 138, which was a nice chunk higher, another 50 grand basically. But I couldn't work any harder. I just couldn't. Like I was already working the 12, 14, 16 hour days. I, I tell the story of like, it's seven o'clock at night. My husband's like, hey baby, come on down for dinner. You know, it's ready. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Be right down. And like 45 minutes later, I'm still working. And I was like in dog hair covered, sweats and I hadn't taken a shower and I hadn't brushed my teeth because I started like in a panic when I woke up in the morning, like complete anxiety going nonstop. And you know, this, I was like, okay, this is not how to live. This is just not how to live. Okay. And now like the after is 
I work hard, like I put the effort in and I love what I do, but I live a delighted life and I brush my teeth and take a shower every day. <laughs> and, and so anyways, I joke, but the big leap happened in that next year, the fourth year in business. I went from 138 to 700K in one year. And that blew my mind. And I had to figure out how I did that. I was working with a mentor, a coach, and he was teaching me how to think differently. And I was learning these universal laws and applying them, not just doing, I mean, I did everything he told me, but I wasn't doing it blindly. I was thinking about why did this work? And then I, I put my own lens on it and have been teaching people from that perspective of universal law that really helped me. We started this conversation out, understanding the intellectual basis for something. That's what helped me understand the intellectual basis for success. And now I teach from that perspective. I want to do kind of deep dive into that, America's, and I think you know set, setting this up. I often find, firstly, with entrepreneurs, people that run businesses, right, is they they get to that point where they feel they are working hard. They're hard workers, right? They know how to work hard. They know how to persevere. But it kind of feels that they're on this hamster wheel, and they never get to that some kind of escape velocity where they have that margin or space in their life, and because they don't have that, they probably recognize some of the things that they can fix, but it feels like, hey, my kind of, you know, cup already runneth over, never ending to-do list already. I already have, you know, a thousand unread emails. How the hell do I attend to these kind of three things that might kind of move the needle in terms of giving me back my life, right? So I, like, that's the context that I see there. But I also imagine that for, you know, for people in careers, for people in individuals in jobs, kind of sitting there and asking themselves, like, is this a hell yes job or is it a no? Probably knowing that, hey, this is not a hell yes job and I'd like to make a change, but they have defined structures in their lives. They probably have a mortgage, they have a family they need to support, they have hobbies that they want they want to kind of you know continue doing. They they want to go out and see friends, right? They don't necessarily want to be under financial stress, but yet they have a job that they don't like, right? So it almost feels like oftentimes like it's very hard to see like how do I go from this point where I am today to that point where I would ideally like to be? Like, what are those kind of first steps? And it, it sounds like in your four in your business, except for kind of, you know, exponentially, you know, changing the growth trajectory of your business, you figured a few of those things out. So that's what I would love to kind of you know, dig into. Like, how do you do that? And how can listeners on this you know, show replicate some of that magic? Okay. So I think there's a lot of different ways to answer your question. I'm going to go meta instead of specific. Okay. So the meta is that we all have a self-image. We all have an identity that we have of ourselves. And that identity is like a set point. And our subconscious is programmed to keep us at that set point, keep us replicating that identity over and over again. So if your identity is someone who never makes her goal, right? That, that year I went to 90, not 100K. If your identity is someone who's not wealthy, who has to struggle for money, if your identity is someone who's not good enough, who's not smart enough, whatever it is, okay? And there's subtleties here, okay? I had a lot of misconceptions about myself, but that identity is gonna get replicated, lived out, because your subconscious is programmed to keep you moving towards that target over and over and over again. It's like, it's a cybernetic mechanism. It's like the thermostat that keeps 
your house at 70 degrees or whatever that is in Celsius. And, you know, if it gets up to 73, it starts cooling off the house and bringing it back down. And if it goes down to 67, it will raise the heat up and bring it to back to 70. So if you start making more money than your identity sees you as, your subconscious sees your identity as making, if you start going beyond what your identity is in terms of a wealthy person or the, a person with ease or a person who has abundant love and great relationships or whatever it is, your subconscious will do things will, that will cause you to bring that back down. Like not showing you the people to work with, not showing you the opportunities that are there. You'll look at I'll look at an opportunity and I'll say yes, instantaneously. You'll look at the opportunity and be like, that's gonna be a lot of hard work. I'm not sure if I'm ready. What will people think if I do that? That's your subconscious bringing you right back to living out your old identity. And that happens over and over and over again. So the real thing that you have to do is change your idea of who you are. And if you can do that, then you've programmed your subconscious to direct you to a different level. And then you keep raising your level. Yeah, so that resonates a lot. And I'm going to put you on the spot here is I'd love to know kind of you know, which parts and feel free to kind of you know, leave out the kind of you know, any details you don't want to share. But like, how did you reprogram your perception of self, like that view that you had of yourself in your for like, what were the key things for you specifically that you had to start kind of reprogramming and, and just rethinking and resetting? Absolutely. So one was you can't be smart and pretty. Okay, so I had to choose. And in my upbringing, smart was the salient thing. Like we got the cred for making good arguments and, you know, getting A's on tests and, and all of that. So, but I didn't want that. I wanted everything. I wanted to be smart and beautiful. Like consciously, I knew that that wasn't the case, but I was, as I told you, sitting on the floor at 7 p.m., not having taken a shower, not having brushed my teeth in crappy clothes, okay, that were covered in dog hair. Like I wasn't showing up as a beautiful woman. Okay, maybe comfortable, maybe friendly with my dog on the floor, right? But not beautiful. And I had a desire to be more than that, okay? And consciously I knew, well, that's asinine. You can be smart and beautiful. Like this doesn't make any sense. But my identity and what what I learned as a child was, no, you can only be smart or beautiful. So I had to reprogram myself for that. And I did it by both changing my beliefs, which is the magic secret sauce, okay? And like figuring out what where the blind spots are and unpacking those blind spots. That's one of the things that I do for my clients. And then I had to take different actions in the face of feeling really uncomfortable with that. So your subconscious is going to say it's not okay to buy expensive clothes or to get your nails done or to get your hair done or to spend time. Big one for me was to spend time getting dressed in the morning. Okay. Even if I wasn't going to see anyone. Okay. Like that I was worth that time. I had to choose that over and over again, even when my subconscious said no. And, and your subconscious will say no in the ways that you'll agree with the most. So you don't have time for that. You have to finish that email to that client or that deal's going down. 
right? That that doesn't that seem so much more important than actually putting on some lipstick and figuring out what clothes you want to wear. And it, it doesn't take me that long to get dressed anymore. But like I had to choose that five extra minutes over and over again to, to prove to myself that I wasn't going to die by choosing something else. Make sense? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think the kind of the best example that I have is um, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. He, like one of the things he says is every single time you do a simple task, right, that represents kind of that represents kind of who you want to be, right? It's an investment in who you want to be. And like, I, I think your example there of spending an extra five minutes to kind of get dressed in the you know, way that you're literally setting yourself up for success, like that is a big investment in this next version, this next iteration, this growing version of who you are and who you want to be. 100%. And I did that in my business. Not everyone wants to be a coach, but you have a vision of who you want to be as the entrepreneur, small business owner, or even someone working in corporate, second in command and management, whatever it is, right? Like you have a vision of who you want to be in that role. And are you living that or are you making yourself small in respect to what you want? Not what I want. Okay. Like it doesn't matter what I want. Okay. So you might be inspired by something I've said, but you have to do you, you have to figure out what your vision is for you and what you want and knowing what you want is sometimes the hardest thing for people it's where i start with my clients and i already agree right because i think as the internet has become more democratized say in the last 10 15 years there there is such a amount like incredible amount of great content out there to pretty much do anything right you know build a business in this way all the content is there all the tactical content is there but few of these things that we can achieve in life is that simple that there is that kind of blueprint of hey just follow these three steps and it's going to get you to this kind of perfect goal much of it is you still need to figure out how that context relates to you right and kind of ultimately figure out what you want firstly so i'd love to kind of you know for someone sitting here listening and saying like I'm not that sure who I am, what I really want, right? So before doing, like, how do you recommend they go about that part? Daydream, yeah. I mean, I fundamentally believe that everyone knows exactly what they want. They're just afraid to claim it. They're just afraid to say, I want that. Because they get stuck in the how. They immediately go, well, how is that gonna happen? Let, that's impossible. That's not for me. That's your subconscious, by the way, saying, look over here. It's the denial phase. Okay. Look over here. Don't look, don't look at what you want, but desire is causative. It is what calls in the ways and the means, but you have to be willing to claim it, even though you don't know how you're going to make that happen. And that's challenging for people because they don't want to disappoint themselves and they don't want to risk that potential of trying and not not getting it. But the truth is, if you really want something and you hold it clearly in your mind's eye and you say, I'm doing this, and then you take the action that comes to you, you will achieve that. The question is how long it takes you. And that's the rub. Do you have the persistence to stay with it? Yeah, I, I would love to hear your take on it. They, where my mind goes to there is the typical kind of, you know, um, you know, Buddhist inspired kind of mentality, whereas what is more important is not the destination of the journey, but the journey itself, right? So like if you are, like if you have that intention, if you are manifesting yourself, it, to some extent, it doesn't really matter how long the journey is, as long as you can stay in that journey, right? And keep persisting. 
Yes. And we're human beings and we want, we, we want, right? Like I'm going to be totally transparent. When I was making 138, I wanted to make a million dollars. I wanted to make it in a year. I was crazy, but I set that as a goal. I eventually crossed that seven figure mark. But when I started, my goal was very financial. Like I knew that I was helping people. I had the, I didn't have a like, I'm taking from people. I knew I was giving great stuff, but I had a financial goal initially. And I think there was something really positive about having that urgency, like giving myself a deadline and pushing myself to do that. I had to grow so much as a human being in order to make that leap, that quantum leap in income that to me, I think it's really important to have goals. It's really important to have timelines and deadlines. It's not worth it to lose yourself. You must find yourself in that process, okay? And that's a nuanced, tricky thing for many entrepreneurs because they get in the weeds. And I can't say that I wasn't in the weeds at all, okay? But I learned so much about myself and grew so much and I kept holding myself to a higher standard in terms of truth and transparency, where I was going, what I wanted, whether I was on this, the right track. And it created the personal freedom. It came through the drive, if you will. And drive can be a really negative thing or it could be a really positive thing. It depends how you use it. Yeah. And you mentioned that nuance. And the best example that I have from my own life, Amira, is uh, a couple of years ago, I ran marathon, my first and only marathon. And the reason why it's my only marathon is is purely because I was so goal-driven. I decided to kind of do, you know, run a marathon. And I wanted to do a sub four-hour marathon. And I did not have a runner's physique, right? So I, But I decided this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. And what ultimately what I know about myself is I managed to do it as well. So I accomplished my goal, um, but I had to train really, really hard for it. And I know that like in terms of the seasonality of my life, I can't do that every single year, right? Like the years since, like I've just not felt like that was the thing, that that was the goal that I was going to set. Like I didn't feel that I would be able to balance that drive, that kind of setting that uncomfortable goal, but do so in a way that's ultimately sustainable and doesn't break other things in my life, right? Because I... I am also just one human being with X amount of bandwidth. Yeah, so we have that in common. I set a goal to run a marathon as well. That's really funny. I did not set a sub four hour goal though. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I was like, I just want to finish. And what I found was I hadn't set my next goal. All I had was that goal of finishing the marathon. And if I had set my next goal of, learning to ski, I don't know, something else, whether it was running or, or something else, I would have stayed in the game a little bit longer. Instead, I ran for like three more weeks after the marathon and then I was done. And I've gotten back into a small amount of running since, but nothing, nothing like it. And I think it's really important to have goals that are true desires. And what I can say is that was a true desire for you. You wanted to set that out, but it wasn't being the marathon runner that goes to a marathon in every country or whatever is not like your true desire, your goal. So that's not your next goal. Yeah. yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense. I and really resonates because yes, like I did the same thing by the way. I kept running, but I've never run that amount like in a single week. Like just because as I, said, I I know how kind of tiring that is. I wanted to touch on kind of it sounded like in your explanation there of kind of you know firstly setting this financial goal, reaching kind of most, sounds like most of those goals. You also kind of speak on your website, you speak about this notion of a fuller life. And it sounds like somewhere in that transition, you went from being mostly financially focused in your goal setting to what you kind of you know, define as a fuller life, right? So I'd love for you kind of to explain what you mean with a fuller life, how you think about it, how you define that for yourself today. Yeah, it's a really good question. So at the risk of sounding too cheesy, I wanted to have it all. You know, I wanted to be smart, be beautiful, run a business, a successful business, make a lot of money, have a great relationship, have a lit up sex life, have great girlfriends, live in a beautiful place, have a beautiful house, be able to travel. Like I wanted it all. I didn't want just the marathon, right? As you were saying, right? I, I wanted the whole package. And although many of us are taught as kids, you can be anything you wanna be, we're also taught that you can't have everything. And, and it's an interesting dichotomy there. And yes, there's a law of sacrifice, which means that you have to sacrifice something of a lower nature in order to allow something of a higher nature to come in. That is 100% true. So if you want everything, right? If you actually have that, I call it a juicy life. Like I just want, I want to enjoy it all. And I don't want to feel limited. What are the key things? And I will tell you, I strongly believe this, that if you don't have the financial means to live more life for you, you will feel limited. You will always be like, oh, I want those that pair of really kick-ass boots, but I, I can't afford that, no. Or I want to fly to London, oh, but I can't afford that, right? I want to go to that conference, but I can't afford that and you'll always feel limited. So I do believe that starting with financial freedom is a great place to start. Starting with figuring out what your blocks are around making money, because anyone has the opportunity and the potential to make as much money as they want. Not everyone does, but everyone has the potential, 100%. I don't care where you started, where you came from, what country you live in, who your parents were, like everyone has the potential but you have to do the work. There are key things, there's steps that you have to take. So I do believe that knowing, like if something happened, I mean, it didn't happen for me with COVID. I was very successful through that throughout this year. And I would say about 90% of my clients did better this year than last year. So that's great. But there are people for whom when something outside of themselves happens, they don't know what to do. And if someone took away my business, and drop me in the middle of nowhere, I would know what to do. Like I understand now what it takes, what the causes are for the effects that I need. So I, I know that now and I can, that's freedom. Okay. Then I know if I want to overextend myself and buy, you know, I don't know, a castle, you know, and I would know what it would take to go fund that. Okay. And I'm not in fear around money. Money then becomes a resource and a tool rather than it running me or owning me. So fundamentally, I feel like I want more life. I want to live this big, juicy, exciting, lit up life. And in order to do that, I needed to have financial freedom. So I started there. But 
like I said earlier, along that path to creating fin financial freedom, I had to learn how not to be beholden to my fears of not being lovable, of people rejecting me, of uh, like, think about sales. Anyone who's in business is in sales. And if you're in sales for yourself, you're going to get rejected all the time. And I had to, there, you'll get more no's than yeses, period, full stop. Okay. McDonald's, billion dollar company. More, most people drive right past McDonald's. They're still a billion dollar company, but they get more no's than yeses. They don't worry about that. Okay. They're, they're focused on getting that lane of yeses. And I had to start experiencing what it was like to be someone who knew their value and was very clear on it and was fine with a yes and fine with a no. Fine with a no means I'm thinking about what could I have done better? What would, what did I need to improve there? But it, I didn't take it personally. It wasn't about me. And it's these kinds of things that if you do it in your business, then you can do it in your life. Then the relationship you're in changes completely. Your partner romantic relationship. If you're not depending on someone else to give you your self-esteem, because that's what it is in sales, guys. If, if you're looking to the person buying from you to say, you're a good person, right? Like my yes means you're a good person. It's kind of a wacky like equation. You're doing that everywhere. You're doing that in your relationships. You're doing that with your team, with everyone. Yeah. And, and, and you're probably doing it subconsciously, right? It, it, you're totally. probably doing it because that's like, uh, and, and there's, there's probably like, we, we probably did not have enough time to go into this. My, my gut feel here, Amira, is that I think that's where globally our educational systems probably fail kids, right? Where like they, I think we teach kids the material but we never teach them the tools to actually figure things out, right? And I think that to some extent, the material matters less and less, especially as the wealth of kind of material grows, what we need to teach and what we need to kind of discover ourselves is like, how can you drop yourself into any context and figure out kind of, how can you start from scratch in that context, right? How can you just take what you kind of have learned and reapply it in that context? And, and that's probably a far better skill than knowing all the facts of that context as you get dropped into that space. 100%. 100%. I had a very early mentor that helped me unlock this. In my first business, we were really successful. And yet I still held on this fear of like, what happens if I screw this up and lose everything? And he simply said, AD, there are kind of broadly two you know, types of you know, people in this world. One type of person are confident in their ability to make money and the other isn't. You're confident in your ability to make money. You'll always figure out how to make money. And I think, again, to your point, that's very much a self-belief thing, right? Because at that stage, I'm a youngster. I've definitely not built up all the skills, all the experience that I needed to guarantee that. But it's just that mindset. Like, am I going to be confident that I can figure something out in future? Yeah. Yeah. How do you think you learned that? Ooh, that's a, like, that's turning the tables here. I think... I wonder, like, th this is what I would wonder, right? So my mom's a teacher, my dad's has always owned his own businesses, is an entrepreneur um, and exposed me to many parts of business. So there's probably something in that. I wonder whether it is predominantly the fact that I was brought up with, as a white male in a mostly Western, Westernized country, right? Believing that I have a right, and I use right as a air quotes, to be successful in the future. So it's almost like that belief, I can do anything that I want, was just 
became such a natural way of thinking that I never questioned the alternative. I never had to think about the alternatives. And I wonder whether, because that just became such a big part of my programming, that created loads of opportunity and like a privileged opportunity. Like I want to acknowledge that, right? But I wonder whether that is that. That's my gut feel. 100%. I mean, that was your identity. Your identity was, I can do it. I'm going to be successful. Like you never thought as a kid, I'm not going to be successful, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and it wasn't like I didn't fail as a kid. I failed at loads of things as, you know, as a kid, even as a young adult. Right. And I failed at kind of as an adult, I failed miserably at other things, too. But that belief has stayed the same. Right. Which is after failure, I can learn. I can try again. I will do better next time, et cetera. Right. So it, it does go back to to that self-belief. And you have a growth mindset, right? I, you just said, I'm going to learn from this. What can I do better? All of that. A lot of people stop. You know, I used to be that way. We talked about the marathon. I used to be that way around sports and athletics. Like I did not grow up thinking of myself as athletic, like couch potato. Okay. I, I read books. I didn't play sports. And so running that marathon was changing my self image, right? I am going to choose to be someone who is athletic. I was not raised that way. I'm, I, and I'm mentioning that because for those people who are listening, who are like, well, I, didn't, I wasn't raised with that self-confidence or that belief in success. You can choose what, who you want to be and you can reprogram yourself for success in whatever arena. But you have to, you have to unpack the places, the blind spots that you have where you are. And there are these stories that are in your subconscious that are, are telling you that you can't do X, whatever X is. For me, it was being an athlete, but for someone else, it might be being an entrepreneur. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I think to that, the one thing that really comes to mind with stories is Brene Brown, in one of her earlier books, she describes this notion around uh, shitty first drafts when kind of, argue, kind of arguing, right? And just that kind of, we always default kind of naturally or impulsively to almost the worst narrative that we can in a situation and just acknowledging that and then kind of almost stepping you know, back from that and acknowledging that, hey, many parts of this is completely irrational, right? We like it's probably due to kind of some kind of form of bias or kind of conditioning just over years. And that's why we are experiencing it this way. That does not make that kind of the truth and does not make that best foundation from which to make this you know, next decision or take this next action. So Amira, I, I love to kind of you know, wrap up and tie everything in a bow here. I'm curious, kind of, as like we've spoken about goals, we've spoken about a full life. Like, what do you have in mind for your own life next? Like, how do you set new goals from here on in? Like, how do you think about that? And curiously, is there any part of you that thinks about legacy as you think about these next new stages of your journey? Good questions. So my goals always. I just download them. I'll be walking, I'll be running, I'll be doing something. And there will be this breakthrough moment, aha moment. I call them divine downloads where I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm going for. And it feels different. It's a different kinesthetic feeling. Like all the cells in your body vibrate at a different level. And that's how I know what my next goal is. And then it's a matter of owning them and staying focused and, and really not getting distracted by life that's really fascinating and engaging, like living that full life and actually helping yourself meet those goals. So that's how I do it. And in terms of legacy, you know, I'm on that cusp in terms of legacy. Like I, I'm dancing around it a little bit. I want to get the business to 
this next level. And that I think has to do with legacy, meaning like really being super clear in terms of our mission and what we're doing. I'd love to make an even bigger impact on women in this world. Like I, I coach predominantly women, some men behind the scenes, but there's so many smart, ambitious, driven women who feel small in this world. And they don't know if I'm so smart, if I'm such a hard worker, if I'm a good person, why am I not breaking through? Why am I feeling trapped? Why am I constantly wondering what other people are thinking and what's right and what's wrong? If I can help, like really the legacy is my next client, right? If I can help one more person break through, that is so freaking satisfying, you know? On the podcast, we do something called the Coaching Uncut series, which gives you a glimpse into me coaching a handful of my clients that have generously allowed me to record and share with people, like with the idea of it helping more people. Even if you can't afford coaching, you can listen into this series and kind of get how it works and, and take something away from it. And one particular client that I'm thinking of, like her life in the last nine months has changed so dramatically where she feels like a whole different person. She no longer is running scared and wondering if she's doing the right thing. She's totally grounded, totally in herself, feels free, loves her business, knows how to run her business. Like it's night and day. That's the kind of legacy I wanna leave. Like if I can do that on a more massive scale, that's great. But if I can do that with my next client and my next client, my next client, that's really important to me. Yeah, that's such a great ending to our conversation, at least. And what really resonates there is I love the thinking of how one can you know, possibly kind of, you know, start with just impacting a single person and allowing them to change their life and they ripple outwards from there. And hopefully they kind of you know, pay that forward. And that's how, like, you know, from client to client, in your case, from customer to customer, and if it's the case of a business, but that's how we, you know, in a combined way, kind of ripple out all these positive effects and ultimately create exponential change. Amira, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. If anyone wants to follow along with your journey as you level up, as you create legacy through each new client, what is the best place for them to follow and reach you? They should definitely check out The Unstoppable Woman. So with the the in front of it, theunstoppablewoman.com. And if you go to our free stuff page, so that's theunstoppablewoman.com slash free stuff. We have a ton of things. There's links to the podcast there. We have a morning mindset club. We have our summit on there. There's great free resources for people to get more of this. So that is the best way online to find us. And then we are on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all the social media channels, YouTube, follow us on YouTube. We put our podcast there. Yeah. We'll link that up, Amira. Thanks so much again for your time. Really enjoyed this. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. Take care. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's ad at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers. <laughs>